Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In times of spiritual and moral chaos, it can be hard to discern truth from error and to apply it to all of life. God's word is not silent, and we don't have to be either. This is Once for All Delivered with Caleb Castro and Andrew Smith. Yeah, this is Once for All Delivered, a podcast about Christ, culture, and uh, Christianity, and uh, other ramblings and musings that we want to subject you to, though you yourself have also chosen to uh, to press play and listen to our ramblings. So uh, That somehow got more rambling the second time you recorded it. It's true. Uh, and we could make it even more rambly. But we're going to cut off there for now um, and remind you that I am your rambly co-host, Caleb Castro. And I am your... Other rambling co-host, Andrew Smith. And Andrew, today we are going to return uh, with our ramblings and musings on the topic of sphere sovereignty, picking up where we left off uh, last time. So if you need a a recap, a refresher, then go back to that previous episode. Um, But yeah. Or just go back to the beginning of the run of the entire show, because really we've been building up to this the whole time for the last... Oh, dozen or so episodes, depending on where we air this. Ad fontes. <laughs> yeah. So, or the seventy-something episodes of Bobcast we did before. That's right. Or the writings of the reformers. Or that. Or the Bible. Or the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there's a holding accountable uh, to one another. These these various institutions that they function properly uh so for example um perhaps one of the most classic ones uh the state has a responsibility on one end to protect the freedom of her church and uh the continued gathering uh for her worship to protect that right as its own institution as its own sovereign institution but at the same time the, the there's a responsibility to see that the church as an institution in this world is also to contribute to the general operations or ordering of human life so the church should have a a a voice in culture uh, in society um it doesn't mean that the church exercises uh rule directly through the state but that the church is active in in its involvement for example um several months ago or, or sometime last year at the time of this recording uh there's a, a a congregation uh in chicago that um needed to uh receive the city ordinance to basically comply with uh building codes ensuring that there was an elevator uh from their ground floor to the upper floor uh, for any who were, you know, who, who needed that sort of assistance. Um, some some churches might have to, uh, according to a, a building codes in their areas, may have to have a uh, wheelchair accessible ramp. Congregations may need to have uh, to ensure that they are that their buildings are in compliance with fire codes. Even in that manner, the state is ensuring that the church in its administrations and in daily operations is contributing to a good and right ordering 
of daily life in, in helping to uh, uh, prevent unnecessary accidents uh, uh, and the like. Um, it would be irresponsible for a church to to just you know discard fire codes from from the government from from the state uh, that that could cost lives. I think that example gives gives a good idea of how you see that these that there is a general um, accountability in this measure. But I think we also need to make some qualifiers here because. You know, this very line of argumentation about fire codes and building codes, for instance, was something that was leveraged a lot over the last few years during the COVID pandemic to say, well, it's just like, you know, the state making fire codes and building codes and all that. They can close down churches for safety. The issue becomes uh, what is essential to the church insofar as the role of, well, what does the church have to do to have a safe building uh, versus what actually are acts by the state that strike at the essence of the church doing and being what the church is supposed to be. I, I would be okay with saying, okay, the state has the ability to regulate building safety. However, that's the end of it. Uh, they can write, they can determine what, a, you know, what, is necessary for a building to be built and occupied and so forth. However, they do not have the right to tell a church in any circumstance that it cannot meet. They could say that a building is unsafe, but they can't say that the meeting of the church is unsafe because that is outside of the proper God-given authority to the state. The church has its own officers, its own authorities, uh, which determine, you know, the location and time and propriety of its meeting and this is an important distinction we need to make lest we again see the creep of the totalitarian statism that says that basically the state can exercise its authority over anything that's not nailed down uh, no they have limits they can keep things generally safe and generally well but for one thing they should be operating uh, sincerely with those interests because we can also see things like building codes, safety codes, things of that type, uh, be leveraged by bad actors within government as a form of essentially political persecution. Well, we don't like their message. We don't like what they're saying. We don't like how they conflict with our politics. And uh, not to get too deep into the weeds of of political philosophy, but, you know, much of politics centers around how you reward your friends and how you punish your enemies. And people can use things like building and safety codes to lever it to, um, punish their enemies. So like, let's say a, in a very liberal area that is very in favor of things like abortion and the LGBT agenda. Um, they don't like that. There's a church that's opposing them. So then they might uh, decide we're going to do some inspections and we're going to find whatever we can do along the building codes. Basically, do whatever we can. Use these things that were maybe set up with good purposes, but wield them improperly to try to silence the church. Um, this is where we see abuse and we need to be on the lookout for these kinds of abuses. And we need to recognize Again, how this creeping state totalitarianism can come in. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that, that's that's a major aspect. Um, I think that that really highlights the the issue. The distinctions need to be be maintained. Yeah, like so. So it's like, where's the line that uh, on one end too sharply delineates these fears 
And where does that line itself need to be drawn um, at the same time? Uh, where does that, where exactly does that line prevent a conflation such as, uh, uh, well, what you said with, would say the state being able to come in and stop the church from meeting. You use that word essential, essentially. And I, I think that, that that's really key. We're, we're talking about the essentiality of it. Um, the, the internal affairs by, by their God-given nature and task is what cannot be encroached upon. The church has it has internal affairs and particular uh, delegated tasks or responsibilities to do what it was set up for, principally uh, the, the, the gathering together for worship and the uh, building and, uh, up and edifying of the body um, of Christ. Uh, so the, 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 the states holding accountable the... Uh, in its own task uh, of the church pertains to uh, things like the, that, the general interest of public safety um, and, though, continuing uh, in the support of the church's calling to do what it was appointed to do. So it, 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 is, a, it is an incredible... If the state functions in a manner that prevents that calling, that, that task of the church to meet and worship God, uh, then... It is encroaching upon territory that it has no right to. So you see where those those two are not. They're not. They're, 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 there's not a conflation, and yet there can't be a hardline separation. It is the support of the essential task as a whole to continue in its operation. So in, the, in this way, if if the state then is overstepping its boundaries under the guise of maintaining public safety. Uh, like we had seen with COVID and what occurs through other excuses, when under the guise of the interest of public safety, the government oversteps its boundaries to regulate the meeting and worship of the church in its own internal affairs and functions, then the church has the responsibility to say to the state, no, you're overstepping your bounds. You need to stay in your own lane here. Not not to roll over and take it in that way. This is this is what Kuiper has in mind in terms of hold uh, of these various spheres holding each other accountable. It's not clean cut. It is a messy thing, but uh, there there has to be a main, uh, a maintaining of these boundaries properly in um, a serious thinking through, uh, not oversimplifying it in a dualistic manner, if you will. That these spheres are. Isolated. Perhaps uh, uh, another another example, uh, if anyone wants to take this up too here, uh, in which how this this functions is that with uh, Christian education and Christian schools, and this is perhaps an even messier area than with the state or government. On one manner, we say even even Christian schools are not directly, if you will, accountable in its administrations to the church or even the home they are uh, under this principle they are independent institutions that god has given their own delegated authority they are in one respect not under the the confessions or creeds of the church nor what the the the, the parents uh want for their kids this is the the simple basis of, of what kuiper would say here but 
then can the can the, the, the schools, even the Christian schools, just ignore what the church says and and the the admonition or exhortation to function uh, according to reformed teachings of reformed principles to have on their um in their their constitution and policies to be in, in compliance with the confessions um with the three forms of unity the westminster standards and the creeds of the church uh can the schools and administration just shrug that off and flaunt it and this being an excuse to to have uh to basically say well you know also home the home stay in your own lane the parents stay in your own lane uh we know what we're doing so this this is a route that this easily goes to with Christian schooling, um, because again, this is this is the misunderstanding here of the responsibility between the spheres. So, how is it that we can have Christian schools that that say that they are that they are held according to Reformed teaching and confessions without this being a conflation? Yeah, and I think here it's important to mention Kuiper's address. Called, titled Sphere Sovereignty, where he famously sets out this doctrine. It was actually given in the context of the, uh, it was the, I'm not thinking of the right name for it, but essentially the opening convocation of the Free University of Amsterdam, which Kuiper himself founded. Um, in that essay, as he sets out this system and sets out these principles, it's also where the most famous quote of Abraham Kuyper is found regarding uh, every square inch of this creation over which Christ cries mine. I said it wrong. That's a paraphrase. But he's talking about this in the context of an educational institution. But what he does not have in mind is, uh, while he does have in mind educational institutions that are autonomous and independent uh, from the, the government and from the church, institutionally what he has in mind is at all times an educational system that is operating under the authority of god and according to the christian world and life view that is set out in god's in god's word uh, to take a step back in kuiper um, before you get into some of these more applications you have to realize that kuiper had a view of calvinism a view of christianity uh, that is an all-encompassing world life view that uh, affects all things in which a person engages and in which institutions engage, and not merely just uh, something that's walled off within the church or walled off within a particularly, I guess you could say, spiritual activities. Um, so Kuiper was very concerned in his reaction against the, the excesses and abuses of modernism of things that were going on in the schools where they were capitulating on matters like evolution, where they were making other concessions that were not, not just issues of ideas that, and the ability and freedom to explore ideas, but the actual uh, institutions that would say they were Christian and operating according to Christian principles, but were actually operating under entirely different worldviews because this concept of worldview is very important to Kuiper. It gets fleshed out in other thinkers like Bob Inc., who we've talked about some, and uh, Van Til would be another one, and, and much of uh, Reformed thought and thinkers that come after. But basically, uh, Kuiper is concerned about the worldview that governs these institutions 
And part of his purposes in founding the free university was to have a university that would operate according to a thoroughly Christian worldview and educate people along those principles. Um, it's not merely the institution has Christian on the door and might pay some sort of lip service to scripture or a confession, but it actually it's like these are the principles according to which we conduct our study. Now, it is important to make those distinctions because we can look a lot at the education in our day, including Christian education, and we see a lot of institutions that claim to be Christian. We even see seminaries that uh, would seem to have a church-focused and church-centric purpose in mind and that would claim to subscribe confessions. But at the end of the day, when you look at how they teach and you look at how they operate, they are operating not according to uh, Scripture as their highest authority, um, God's moral law is their highest moral standard. They're governed by worldly ideas of things like uh, academic freedom and secular pluralism and things of the sort. This gets a little muddy. This gets a little messy when we're fleshing out these distinctions and and differences. But at the end of the day, not everything that calls itself Christian and not everything that claims to be operating biblically is and does. So that's some of the difficulties we see with this. In this in this matter of the school, um, as another example here, uh, what you're saying here, there's no excuse to shrug off accountability to the other spheres. Uh, in this instance, with the with the schools, because they have the, just because they have their own delegated task and are uh, instituted by God to administer. Uh, within their own affairs as a whole. This doesn't mean that they cannot be and should not be influenced by the Christian household or by the church. Um, and you, you'd use the term earlier, secular pluralism. Um, the, this is, a, a, you know, operating uh, according, secular pluralism would be operating according to um, the general and, and, and varied principles of a society um in in trying to have a sort of if you will trying to maintain a relativistic approach to make everybody happy in a sense but what kuiper advocates is uh, a principled pluralism society should be governed according to a a set of principles a set, uh, a, a general uh structure or system of ideology that informs one's uh, thought and actions. Uh, this this a world and life view. Uh, so uh, principles of beliefs that so shape someone that it is worked out and applied in day to day life. And he sees the gospel um, wisdom or godly wisdom according to the word as the principles according to which we are to function within um, and to promote. And so that a Principled pluralism is where he's coming from in the sense of these spheres have a general a general accountability to one another in basically the living out according to scriptures uh, standards. Uh, so it's it's an it's an influence and an exercising of the overall dominion of Jesus Christ in all areas of life. Uh, another way to put it is that a a for example a Christian. Once leaving the building of the church, a Christian outside of the institution doesn't stop being a Christian. A Christian doesn't put his faith away until, you know, next time he goes to a church function or a worship service. 
faith goes with him. That faith is what, in his beliefs, is what uh, informs his day-to-day actions. I mean, that, that, that is what sanctification is doing. It is a renewal of all parts of the Christian, renewing his mind and his, his heart, uh, his will, his dispositions and affections, everything towards um, a life lived for God. So that whatever he is doing is to be pleasing to God in this life uh, in preparation for the next. So with this, uh, speaking of, of, of uh, Christian schooling, for example, there is no excuse to shrug off accountability between uh, from the church and home according to a principled pluralism. Um, we want to be consistent. The school is, is overall entrusted with this responsibility to teach the kids um and this this comes through an approval also of of the convictions of the parents likewise the confessions do uh, as as uh representing the principle of scripture uh they also have a role in influencing uh and giving a, a guidance and direction to a christian school Perhaps put another way, if a school is claiming to teach according to a certain confession and a certain set of values, it should be doing that. It's right. a matter of integrity and it's a matter of uh, of honesty. So when they are not in each of these these institutions, um, when they are not, uh, who is it that they're truly uh, accountable to? Right. Who, who actually is going to be holding them accountable? Now, the Lord uses these various spheres, um, these various institutions, as we've been saying, to hold them each other accountable. But who is it that ultimately must answer to? But God. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's that's the primary thing, which going back to what, what Andrew was talking about in the beginning here, it all comes back to God is the ultimate sovereign and who encompasses uh, this entire uh, world, this entire existence. Uh, every square inch, each sphere is directly accountable to God according to what he has delegated them for and how they exercise that. But holding Christ's lordship over all of these things. Exactly. Because they're for him. Right. So while these institutions have their own existence... Um, they do so all under God's lordship and should and are tasked with doing their work, fulfilling their purposes according to God's will and God's word and in ways that glorify him. Uh, it is not uh, merely these things exist for themselves and as an end in themselves, but they in all things sanctify Christ as Lord. And this is very important when you get into the details and you get into how these institutions are operating because there's a lot of things again that call themselves christian and that call them or that claim to be acting in the interest of the church and stuff but you have to look at what they actually do and you look at the kind of fruit they bear and ask yourself do they actually live and operate and conduct themselves under the lordship of christ and in a way that glorifies him not to not to infuse such cynicism and skepticism, uh, but I mean, I think we can look at the world around us and we can see just in the chaos that we have, even in our Christian institutions and stuff, that uh, we've got some problems here. And we have some pretty far and pretty serious deviations from these goals and purposes. 
in that, I want to I want to point out also what we were saying earlier of the kind of the critiques of Spears' sovereignty. You know, it, it's hard to, in 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 speaking of it to not present it in a certain muddy way, and yet trying to be as as general and, and uh, succinct as we can be, because this is, might otherwise be a very very long series, which is not out of a realm of impossibility. Yeah. But um, I think I've said in a, a previous episode, it, it's it's kind of funny how on one end. Kyperians, uh, neo-Calvinists have been accused of being uh, isolationist and basically setting up our own institutions, our own institutions that function according to the Christian principles, such as Christian schools, um, which, which say the CRC, uh, Christian Reformed Church in North America, was very well known for. Having these various institutions and programs of their own uh, is seen as kind of like a cutting off from the world. Uh, it's taking what you call the antithesis very far in, in this, this sharp opposition between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of, of man. Uh, and, and yet on the other end, it's also accused of uh, what you might call transformationalism, being so overly optimistic in uh, the, the Christians or the churches required holding accountable other spheres uh, and and living out the Christian life in continuity outside of the church, uh, that there was a, a over optimism that the kingdom of God can be so manifested uh, in in bringing a lasting transformation towards perfection, towards the the consummated state in, in contribution of that consummated state. That critique then then uh, scares others off from Kuiper's notions, from Kuiper's concept of, of, of sphere sovereignty at its basis. Uh, I mean, this is, this is basically a needing to find the, that balance between antithesis and uh, common grace, that the church or the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man are truly separate, and yet the church and Christians are in the world and are called to the task of evangelizing, witnessing, and caring for uh, their neighbor in exhibiting the love of God uh, in obedience to him and a love of neighbor in serving man. There's that balance for a, a, a over pessimism or an over optimism that has to be strived for. I would just add to that um, mm -hmm. because a lot of these discussions end up getting wrapped up in eschatology and, you know, for instance, the amillennialism versus postmillennialism debates uh, the fact of the matter is, eschatology matters, but it's not what governs and dictates what is appropriate here. You look at Abraham Kuyper and you look at Herman Bovink, they were all millennials. They did not expect or anticipate some great societal transformation in this age. It occurs to me that we actually, um, just to maybe kind of give you some diverse perspective on this we recorded in the twilight days of bobcast some stuff on bob inc uh and his article the kingdom of god the highest good where he sets out a very similar vision for these things and it's a good article it's about 40 pages it's online you can read it if you're interested and then we never released that stuff maybe someday we will yet but uh just to show you, too, that this is also uh, Bob Inc. was very similar in a lot of his approach to these things. But Bob Inc. is clear in that article uh, that, yeah, he doesn't expect an earthly golden age. But the other thing is 
in a certain sense, eschatology doesn't matter when we're dealing with these things because we're not talking about eschatology in terms of what the, how this is going to how this is going to be effective or not. What we're talking about is we're talking about anthropology and we're talking about ethics. What has God created man to do? What has God required of us? Um, that's really, I think, more where this discussion needs to happen. Uh, but it can get lost in these fights over eschatology and things of that sort. Yeah, and it's especially relative for today, um, you know, being on this side of COVID. What prevents something like what occurred there with all these various mandates from returning? Um, and if, if not, again, with, with something like COVID, a reinstitution of, you know, masks and the various restrictions, because uh, I'm not sure in America that that would work again if many people would listen. But other measures such as uh, you mentioned earlier, Andrew, with the, you know, the banning of, of and, and punishment of preaching against LGBT things. You know, where so where are these lines and, and you know, or do we just go on and, and, and uh, roll over uh, when these things occur? How can there be any reformation or renewal if the church is not active in society? The Christian's influence in, in society doesn't require a all comprehensive takeover of the government, you know, or the state. It doesn't necessarily exclude uh, Christians in forming a, a political party and uh, the various various denominations either in, in looking to, you know, looking to as, as citizens and as uh, Christians informed by the Christian worldview from forming a party to exercise influence in the government. Which Kuiper did, and he rode all the way to being the prime minister of the Netherlands. Yeah. I mean, he was hated, <laughs> but he did it. But he also had to do that by building a broader coalition. He, for instance, mm -hmm. his anti-revolutionary party countenanced uh, Roman Catholics. Because at least with Roman Catholics, we share the same moral framework mm -hmm. and the same uh, general vision for, for what constitutes a, a good and orderly society. Um, now... This is important right, or at to least bring an up. older form of Roman Catholicism, <laughs> right? A little different today, post-Vatican too. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, and this is important to bring up because uh, you know we've talked about the various other views. We've talked about theonomy. I have even at at various points uh, hinted at uh, the current movement of Christian nationalism. Uh, I think a lot of the problems that these views have. Uh, and the issues they're going to trip over is that they are so narrow and so idealistic. How can you actually do them? How can you actually implement them? I'm not to, and mind you, I'm fine with like having the theoretical discussion of these things, but at the end of the day, like we have a certain world in which we live in and we have to live within it. Uh, we can't just violent revolution, overthrow everything and start from zero. Now, if it comes down to that, then I guess we'll be glad we had the theoretical discussions for what comes after, but uh, our our focus is more uh, how do we deal with the systems, how do we deal with the world, how do we deal with the people and the institutions that God has given us, um, what is our best way as Christians to approach what we have. So admitting there is a bit more of a, a pragmatic focus here, but we think that uh, it's a good one, and we think that it's a biblical one. 
you'll you'll notice as we've been having this discussion here today we haven't really been talking a lot about scripture and confessions and part of that is we've already done a lot of that work already you can go back earlier in the series listen to where we talked about the confessions we've talked about how from like the belgic article 36 and then from the westminster the revised versions because this system would favor the revisions though properly understood and this principled pluralism sense and not a secular pluralism sense, um, but also scriptures. We've talked about texts like Romans 13 in, su- in such a way that uh, we think they do undergird and support such an approach. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking on uh, backing up to slightly here uh, as we wrap up, you know, on the other end, away from the theonomic questions, uh, going back to something of the art, the Escondido two kingdoms element. I think, you know, we, we okay. So the, the, you know, we have to say uh, at the end of the day, you know, we must obey God rather than man. And uh, some may say, yeah, and God would have you obey the government or state when they institute, uh, when, when they order or give legislation for mask mandates, vaccine mandates, you know, or whatever else. The government can have its money, can have its taxes. Uh, they, they could see fit to remove a, you know, nonprofit uh, uh, tax exempt status from the church. Uh, if they see, you know, there's a violation of, uh, you know, we don't want you preaching against LGBT or whatever, you know, they could do those things, but they can never stop the gathering or worship of the church. Um, they can never stop the church from being the church because God has instituted it to do what he wants us to do. We obey uh, Jesus Christ, the Lord over all things and not uh, Caesar. Um, and that that's that is the bulk of it. Whether it's uh, whether it's in in the churches or the Christians' relationship to the state, to you know within their own home, to uh, the the economic marketplace, work, uh, the media, or the you know or wherever uh, wherever else it may be, Jesus Christ is Lord, and we must obey Him, and not man. Um, in all things, that is where the blessedness uh, comes, and that is uh, the kingdom's manifestation um, in this life. It is the spirit ruling through us, uh, in us and through us, for the glory of Jesus Christ, and that cannot be stopped. Absolutely. I think that's a good stopping point. Um, we'll have more to say about this, I'm sure, in coming episodes, because we've really only begun to scratch the surface in the way that we often do, that this is going to take more time and more fleshing out than we might have planned for, but that's okay. Um, so this has been Once for All Delivered. Uh, we thank you for listening. Again, if you have any, well, as always, if you have any questions, comments complaints you can reach out to us in the usual ways ofad podcast at gmail.com social media at ofad podcast if you like us uh, review us rate us on your podcatcher uh, subscribe to us at our website onceforalldelivered.com consider becoming a paid subscriber Uh, we appreciate all of that and we still don't have a pithy sign off phrase Sorry, guys. Guess we just, uh, we just, uh, We're not clever enough. limp across the finish line. Yep. Nope. Can't do it. <laughs> I don't think we'll ever be able to recapture the magic of tote zines that we had in Bobcast. 
almost to the point where I feel like we should just maybe bring that one back and run with it still. <laughs> no way. I, I'm, I'm liking this pithy sign-off. Sign-off. <laughs> uh, it's so cringe. We'll get there. Yeah. Well, until then. Uh, yep. Bye. Bye. Signing off. Thank you for listening to this episode. For the latest news and updates, visit our substack at onceforalldelivered.com, where you can also support our work with a paid subscription. You can also follow us on social media at OFAD Podcast. If you like what you have heard, leave a five-star review where you get your podcasts and spread the word about the show. Once For All Delivered is hosted by Andrew Smith and Caleb Castro and produced by Andrew and Heidi Smith. A special thank you to our founding members, Eric and Kathy Hepker. We hope you will join us again next time on Once For All Delivered.